cricket is coming and it's time for a bat. We're going sub some bodies and we'll have a good laugh. Hello and welcome to episode 32 of Get It Whacked, the Macclesfield Cricket Club podcast. Over the coming weeks and months, we intend to go behind the scenes of Max CC and meet some of the players and characters at the club, find out some things about them you never knew or most likely never wanted to know, and above all, hopefully have a few laughs along the way. Macclesfield Cricket Club is grateful for the continued support of our various sponsors. Today's featured sponsor is East Cheshire Mortgages. East Cheshire Mortgages are a local independent mortgage broker who have been established for over 15 years. Paul and his team have a wealth of experience in a number of different areas, specialising in new build and help to buy mortgages. They are currently offering a free initial mortgage review for anyone worried about finances during the current climate. Please visit www.eastcheshiremortgages.co.uk for more information. Without further ado, I would like to introduce today's guest. This man has had many roles at the club. He's been umpire, barman, security guard, comedian, serial crossdresser, seasonal entertainer, and now, some would argue most importantly, he's taken on the mantle of head groundsman. There's never a dull moment when this man is around, and some would argue he's the heartbeat of the club. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Paul Fairclough. Paolo, how are you? I'm very well, Miles. Thank you very much for that delightful introduction. I wondered who you were talking about then. Well, I mean, you know, you've got you've got to say a few nice things about people before you uh, knock them down a peg or two. Yeah, absolutely. I'm expecting <laughs> that. Don't worry. <laughs> I, I must say, though, your ratings are going to plummet now that you've let somebody on from the north. That's for sure. <laughs> well, to be fair, we have had people on from Stoke, and uh, Rob Porter did okay. So, uh, <sighs> I mean, Dear God. Well, you had to edit most of that and put in your own words, I'm sure. I mean, I did give a preface about needing a translation. And I mean, there may be a few people out there who find it difficult to understand you, Paolo, but um, who knows? I don't think so. I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) Very, very good indeed. Well, it's good to hear you're in uh, good spirits, which can only bode well for this podcast. First question, mate. uh, Have you been dealing with the the lockdowns? And I have to say that now they're in the second one and the general pandemic mire. Uh, Very well, I think. I, I don't really tend to want to be near a lot of people obviously that's different when that's different when we're at the cricket club on a saturday or with the lads it's, that's very much a family gathering i always i always think so uh, yeah we just at this moment in time i'm uh, emptying my mother's house which they lived in them for the same for 60 years and all the stuff is still in the 60 years worth of stuff is still in it so we're emptying that at the moment to get it sold by the end of, well, it is sold by the end of the uh, the lockdown. So that's keeping me busy. And how's uh, how's things progressing with the house in Macclesfield? Um, slowly. Liz has now found a paintbrush that I bought for beyond use. And she's been cracking on and she's been doing a fantastic job. It would be remiss of me not to ask how the wonderful Liz is. She's in fine spirits. She's in fine spirits. She's um, she's doing well. She's doing really well. Excellent. Some people would find that hard to believe, given that she's been locked up with you for the last how many weeks? But Well, th- those are my words, you see, not not hers. She'll co- she might come out with something different, but uh, yeah, she's doing all right. Well, I'm away for five days of the week at the moment, so she's, she's loving it. I think that's what they call respite, isn't it? Respite, it is. It is. Yeah, yeah very, very good. And do you want to tell... Tell us uh, what you 
what you do or what you have done when you aren't at the club? Well, I used to be a dairy farmer, which took all of my time. And then I moved down here in 2000, was a dairy farmer for 10 years. And then after that, I went back and looked after my mum and dad, my ailing mother and father for five years, but still continued to come back down to Macclesfield for the cricket on Saturdays. And then after that finished, I, I decided to do the groundwork. Uh, it was offered to me as a job, part-time job. And that and amongst other things have filled all my time since. I was looking to do a part-time job somewhere this next or last couple of months, but it's not worked out that way with moving uh, stuff out of my mum and dad's house. So it's just, I'll, I'll be on a full-time job come March next year, trying to get the decks ready for you guys to play on. Very, very good indeed. Well, more of that to come, Paolo. I think we'll uh, we'll leave the groundwork here for now. What would you say your earliest cricketing memories are? Brian Close, those guys. And, and I was a bit of a statto as well, because my mum and dad used to get the Daily Mail. No disrespect to him for that, but they did get the Daily Mail. <laughs> and all the figures... All the figures every day of cricket were on there, and I would, I'd, I'd had my own fantasy cricket league in a in a scrapbook, and it just I just adored Test match cricket, absolutely adored it. The guys who, I mean, the, the Australia around with Lee, uh, Lily and uh, Thompson at that time in the early seventies, and it was just something to behold, where our lads would stand up, stand up in front of this barrage of whatever they are, the Australians, the strange people, aren't they? But yeah, it was just tr- tremendous. I, I, you know, and, uh, we, we were we were blessed at that time with some fantastic cricketers as well in, in other nations, um, along with Botham and all that. So Botham's obviously my hero, tremendous cricketer. I was lucky enough to go and watch him live uh, in Somerset in the mid eighties, and he scored a hundred and ten on a on a John Player Sunday match, and he scored it. And I, I actually scored the match itself. And it was like one, two, four, six, four, six, four, six, one, and that's just fifty. <laughs> and then he went four, six, four, six, four, six, four. And Viv Richards was at the other end. He's also scored a hundred. It was the highest John Player forty over match score of uh, two hundred and ninety on a Sunday afternoon. It was tremendous. And we were absolutely wasted from the night before because we'd been drinking cider. Oh no! And we just fell. Up. Yes, I know it was awful. And I could hardly write, but I still managed to get the scores in. And uh, yeah, it was absolutely one of the greatest days of my life that watching those guys, uh, Joel Garner, Botham, Malcolm Marshall. Oh my God, I couldn't even see the ball when he bowled. Absolutely amazing. The wicketkeeper was 40 yards back. <laughs> and all we could see was him diving left and right. Fantastic stuff. Absolutely. And uh, what, what about your playing career, Pilot? Do you play much cricket? Uh, not a lot. Uh, the dairy farm, well, my father told me a bit of a fib when I was younger. Uh, he said, we're not having you playing sports on Saturdays. Oh, why not? Uh, no, because, you, you know, we've got work to do. It was only in his dying years that I found out that him and his brother played for the same football team. And I said, how do you do that, Dad? You're, uh, you're two years different. You must have been open age. Oh, yeah, we were. I said, well, how come you two play together? He said, well, our kid broke his leg and I had to do all the farm work. So from that, <laughs> 35 years later, I wasn't allowed to play cricket or football. And so, although I did play cricket at school and was a half-decent bowler. Played football in every football team. We didn't have rugby. We should have had rugby league. I would have, I quite, would have quite enjoyed that. But I did chuck cows around for a living, so that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that uh, never came into it. But, uh, but I, when we came down to, um, to just outside Macclesfield to farm, uh, my little lad was four at the time, and when he got towards 10, we took him up to Potts Wrigley. 
and then he started cricket then and I then took my coaching badges then uh, to, to help them uh, yeah and uh, the, the dream continued so uh, we've heard about obviously how you, how you moved down to Macclesfield uh, or the the area but how, how did you end up at Macclesfield Cricket Club and, and involved with Mac um well well I, I did meet Simon uh, well me, well I play, like I said he played cricket for the first time at the age of 10 he was chucked on the field for a under 15s game and it happened to be at Macclesfield on Parkside uh, and this little lad who had a jumper on that was twice as long as it should have been was chucked into his first game. And then I, like I said, I, I did the coaching and I did it with a lad called Paul Lucas, whose son also played for Mac later on. And uh, anyway, we got up to a certain age and I realised that Potts Wrigley wasn't the standard that my lad should be at. It should be at a higher standard and we'd, we knew about Macclesfield. I'd met Simon um, before that, but that didn't make any... That, even that didn't put me off. <laughs> uh, so we brought Elliot down to the under 15 setup, and there was, uh, I'll tell you, John Ramsey was the, the head coach, and he was fantastic. And he educated the whole two years of lads how to, how to play cricket and how to know about cricket. And they just went, they went on and on from there. The whole, that whole year that Elliot was in, that was, it was a younger year, it, it, it was fantastic. So, how did you end up uh, coming to umpiring? Um, well, I. I was at Potts Wrigley. I was I was a scorer, so I just sort of. Elliot was playing in the third team. I actually played. I think it was one of his first matches. I played in the first one of the earlier matches on the threes. They had a Thunder, Sunday threes team then. Mark Knight was the captain, and both of us were playing because he was short of numbers. And, and he said, and he shot me the ball and said, "Can you open?" I said, "You what? Can you open?" Anyway. I, <laughs> I did check the stats. Uh, apparently, I got was it eight eight overs on the trot. My legs were falling off, by the way. Eight overs on the trot, uh, twenty one runs for one wicket. So that's quite respectable for an opener, isn't it? Yeah. You, you'd swap you swap those figures, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No comment. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so um, and then uh, the threes. Obviously, you don't you don't tend to have club umpires. And I just thought, you know what. The lads, you do enough. You certainly the captains do enough. They don't need to stand out there as well as bowl and bat and all that sort of thing. So I thought, you know, well, I'll, I'll umpire, and I did it for a bit. Roger was doing the twos, that was fine, and uh, I went and did the umpiring course, and just went on from there. And actually, it is the best seat in the house, and sometimes you get some fantastic games. Absolutely, and you've had some great games on Parkside in the last couple of years that I've seen, and it's just fun. It is the best seat in the house really is i know you've got to concentrate for four hours or five hours or whatever it is but it is wonderful it's, it's great and so moving on to kind of you your umpiring before we talk about some some games or some moments and, and things from you you know your your, your memories and, and umpiring i've i would say i suppose my question is um how hard have you found it umpiring your own players and indeed on occasion uh, your own son it is because you just, sometimes you're going to make that hard decision doing your own players they're generally not too bad i mean steve orrox he's a whirlpool of anger he was very very gentlemanly about it even though he was spitting fire out it was lbw no it was just dropping down like steve and he never once gave me any back chat uh, about it at all and Tony Moore is what a gentleman, a ferocious competitor. But if it's not out, it's not out. And I've, uh, I've found it, I mean, I found it diff- more difficult with Elliot. If I give Elliot out, he gives me loads of grief. And what's that all about? You're out, son. Go on. Off you go. You weren't scoring fast enough. Come on. 
I think there's been a, there's been a perceived notion that over the years you might well have been a little bit harsher towards Elliot than uh, perhaps someone that wasn't your own son. Do you, I mean, not that anyone's listening here, Pilar, but would you say there's anything in that? Do you, have you felt the need to be um, uh, less lenient? No, I, well, it's it's difficult. Well, I know I know where you're coming from. It's it's. Do I give the eighty uh, percenters? I've tried very. I've tried to very much so evolve my umpiring if you will and to give in that moment of hang on a minute that's let's give it a minute before we're going to tuck that finger up especially for lbw because it's very difficult sometimes you've got to re-see it in your mind so if you just count to three and you'll get to see it again and you might give it out but i've got to the point now where it's got to be 100 percent out i've got to be 100 percent certain that that ball's going to hit the wickets whereas probably in the earlier days it was yeah i think that was going to hit the wickets uh, you know you give it I'm not in the bowlers' union anymore. I'm in the batters on the batters' side now. <laughs> they only well, they only get one chuck at it, don't they? You, you know, they've only got one, and then they've got a week to wait till the next time you lot get hit for a six, and then you're back on next ball. At this juncture, Paolo, I'd normally talk about some stats and things like that, but obviously, you know, not with a, an extensive playing career from Macclesfield, I'm, I'm unable to do that. However, I did do a bit of digging, and, and I went through, um, you know, as many of the games on play cricket as I could find, um, and I looked up some of your individual umpiring stats, and um, yeah, what I discovered is that um, on average um, per Macclesfield innings you actually give 7.5 LBW decisions. Do you have anything to say against that? <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Calver- they're all against Cal Burgess. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I would love to have had the time to go through every game you've umpired and work out how many LBWs you've given. but There wouldn't uh, be that many. Uh, well, I've been on the end of a couple. Um, have you? All right. Yeah, haven't we all, Paolo? Haven't we all? It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's not an exclusive club, but... Um... You, you, the thing is with you, Miles, you do have a bit of a plant. You do plant that foot there a little bit early. Yeah, well, I mean, if you're going to try and sweep everything, you need to get that foot yeah. planted. <laughs> Can I, I will. I do have a very, very small story about... I was um, I was on prime for the twos one day, but that weekend, and it was involved in the selection to a degree. That weekend, they were so short of players. As you, as thirteen captain, you'll find that out sometimes, don't you? But um, they ended up by rationing out, so they were only taking two, uh, ten players in the twos, and ten players in the threes. And I was what I was in the twos just to give the threes a chance that they've got to, to win their game. So we were at Sail Away, DC. I think DC was the captain. And uh, so we batted first. I can't remember, really remember the score, but I knew that Andy, Andy Moores was still in and I went in to bat at number 10. Uh, so Andy's, obviously, you can see it in his eyes that he's, he's thinking we're not going to last longer here. And I said, look, Andy, you're thinking we're not going to last longer here. But we've got 20 overs left. Let's ju- If we can get 25 or 30. And that's you just knew that was straight over his head. I know he's not so tall, but that's straight over his head. Anyway, I just said, Luke, I'll just drop one down here and we'll run. Anyway, I dropped it. I did exactly what it said on the tin. I dropped it down, ran to the other end. Fantastic. And he put his thumb up. Great. Next ball, he tries sweeping. He got caught on the boundary. What was that all about? And what's worse than that is, on play cricket, it says to me, not, not out. And I got one run. <laughs> and that would have upped me average. But that would have doubled me average. <laughs> Very, very good indeed. And I mean, it's uh, it's no wonder to me that that a story like that involved Andy Moores. Oh, 
he's a shocker. He's he, a shocker. He really Love is. him to death, but he's a shocker. I mean, I shouldn't speak ill of my uh, my sweeping buddy, but there we are. Well, look, uh, that's a great anecdote, Paolo. I'm, I must ask you if, if there are any sort of games or memories that you'd like to sort of talk to us about. I mean, normally I'd pick a couple of games, but, uh, you know, obviously, given that it's your umpiring career, I thought maybe you, you might have one or two games or incidents that you might want to tell us about. Um, well, there was one particular game, and I've, I've picked this out. There's been a lot of great, I, I believe, great players at Macclesfield. Um uh, I, you know, I love watching Khaled, obviously, because he's 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 been a fantastic player. He still is a fantastic player. Birchie is just, well, you know, the whirlwind of the player that he is. And if you turn your back on that game, he can have turned it around within five minutes. He's incredible. Um, and and then certainly the semi-final versus New Brighton before we went to the Cheshire Cup final was one of those games. I'd gone to the bar for my first pint of the day. Uh, and he he'd come on and he scored twenty six in sort of five minutes, ridiculous. And then turn and turn the game around and we won, and we ended up by going to the uh, Cheshire Cup final. But going back to the umpiring side, one particular game I picked out uh, was a, a a real classy player. He was he was uh, re- relegated from the first team into the second team. Called Rob Keane. It was on the sixteenth of May two thousand and fifteen, and we were playing at home to Old Edge. Well. The you don't need adrenaline for that match, do you? Because it's we always want to win that game, and it was a fantastic match. And I'd, 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 I picked this one out, but I didn't know that Elliot had played in it, so I found out. I found Rob Key's score, and he scored 118 with some. And DC will back me up on this. Some of the shots were just outstanding, on and off drives, beautiful execution, of, and such great footwork. And it was fantastic to be out there as an umpire to see that first hand best seat in the house like I said before but uh, anyway he scored uh, he scored 118 uh, I didn't know this but Elliot got 43 I can hear everybody's going bloody hell you picked that match uh, Craig ended up by getting 34 but that was about it really and, and Matt finished on a very respectable 252 for 7 of 47 overs so therefore giving 3 overs to uh, to Old Liege Old Liege then won the bloody game didn't they 256 for eight of 52 overs with one over to spare. And to me, that sums cricket up. You can see something fantastic. You don't usually have a 100 scored in a game by a player and he'd be on the losing side, but it was a fantastic game of cricket. Both, I mean, DC was gutted, the tall team were gutted for losing, but they played in a 500 run match that was just, had a lot of outstanding quality about it and it was just a pleasure to be amongst it, honestly. Very, very good indeed. Do you remember giving any uh, controversial decisions? Uh, no, because there were, well, there were only, um, what was the 13 wickets altogether? No, 15 wickets altogether. I was only standing one end, so I couldn't do much damage from one end, could I? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there are a raft of people that say you could do plenty yeah. of damage from one end. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, other, the other match, of course, is a personal one. Um, <clears throat> it involves Elliot. Um, and when it was... Well, I'll, I'll pitch the scene. This is the Friday night. I'm at me, um, what's it called when those kids go, prom night. I don't know why it's a prom night. That's really American. But they do this prom night, don't they, when they're 16. I'm at me prom night tonight. Oh, yeah. You've got a match tomorrow, you know. Me thinking that you don't go out on the piss the night before. Sorry about that language. I got a telephone call at four o'clock in the morning. Elliot's really drunk. He's walking down Middle Road. Where are you? A6 in Disley. Right, I'll come down. So I shot off. I live, we lived in Adlington, so it's not so far. So I shot off down the, down the A533 onto the A6. There he was, picked him up. He was right as rainbow pissed. 
at 16. Took him home, give him a pint of water, two paracetamol, and give him a bucket at the side of the bed. So drink that, suck, eat those, throw up into that. You've got a match in the morning, get some sleep. So anyway, the next morning we're at, we're at the match. It was, uh, it was on the 28th of May, 2011, and it was the threes on Parkside at Hunter Herbie. And this is where Elliot scored his one and only ton for the club, and he's obviously his first ton and being an umpire. And, they were, and I didn't give him LBW, did I? Because it was a not out. Just saying that for the record. Uh, he scored really well. He was hungover. He had no, so he had no nerves. He had a fantastic partnership with Andy Hodges uh, of uh, 149, and then a brilliant partnership again with today's first team captain Crossy. Uh, and they scored, they scored 264 for two of 41 overs. That's some, that's some score. What does cricket do when things like this happen? It was a lovely sunny day, and then Herbie came in. And Steve Horrocks up the bowling. I'll give you Steve Horrocks' figures. 12 overs, 7 maidens, 18 runs for no wickets. The guy, <laughs> if he wasn't ginger before, he's, at, he's her when it was flamed. He was spitting fire at everybody. Everybody for not raising a bat more than three of the floor. Can I assume from this that they may have come out from ball one with a big stitchy stitch on? A one, yes. 126 for five or 49 overs. Oh, no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> from my point of view, from my point of view, having, had, um, having your son get to 100 and therefore I had to buy a, a round which happened to be about four jugs, I think, that night. Not just that, to have to then sit through. To be fair, Macclesfield didn't have the best bowling attack that day, but they didn't want to, they didn't want to try. They didn't want to go home early or try. It was, it was bizarre. But that's just what cricket does. It just sort of, you know, you've got to build teams out the same, thing as you, same way you've got to score. So that's the way it is. Yeah, I mean... Talking of bizarre circumstances and stitching it, uh, the third team this year were playing a, a 40-over game in our sort of weird, um, you know, curtailed COVID season. And we'd agreed with the opposition, as the league had said we could, to to indeed play win-lose cricket. Um, mm-hmm. And then the the opposition batted second and promptly stitched it for the last 15 overs. <laughs> <laughs> what is the point? I, I'm not even sure they knew what they were playing. It was, um, yeah. I mean, it it takes all sorts, doesn't it? It does. It does. It <laughs> well, does. well. Moving on from one of your, uh, your your main roles, shall we say? We'll we'll talk about um, another one now, which is that of groundsman um, and indeed head groundsman, which we'll come to. But um, I thought it'd be interesting just to hear when you began to get involved with the groundwork at the club. Uh, yeah, three years ago. Um, uh, I don't know what had happened, whether they'd had the overseas had been doing it or or maybe Crossy had been doing it because Crossy did a lot of work as a youngster. And then he'd gone off to, uh, to uni. And there's not, there aren't many people that step up at certain times. And it was just one of those things. I was in the right place at the right time. And I said to Simon, uh, uh, well, actually, Liz was knocking around. She said, she said to Simon, oh, Paul will do it for you if you want. And, it, and Simon said, Really? Oh, okay then. Uh, and, and then it started. Um, and I've, I, do you know what? It's easy to say this now, but I've actually enjoyed every minute of it. Really, it's a, it's it's quite stressful because you want the place to look fantastic, but you want a wicket. You want a wicket that looks that plays right. That has a little bit for the bowlers, but has a little bit for the batsmen as well, because everybody likes seeing fours and sixes and 
and wickets and all. But uh, no, it's been it's it's been an, a very enjoyable th- three years. As as you can attest to, uh, when it comes to Parkside, they generally tend to be big green seamers. So I don't know what you're talking about. This little bit for the back. <laughs> Well, you ordered that, didn't you? Oh, I, I must, I must uh, obviously put an asterisk next to that and say every time Jimmy says, "What do you want for the wicket?" I say, <laughs> "Not a road and keep a bit of grass on it." What, what has Jimmy got to do with it? I'm the well, one that started over here. <laughs> well, quite. But uh, anyway, on the subject of Jimmy, um, as I said, you've, you've recently taken over from longtime head groundsman Jimmy. Uh, what can you tell us about Jimmy and perhaps what you've learned from him? Uh, possibly the PG things you've learned from him. Uh, well, there's not a lot. Um, he is he is a fantastic bloke. I tell you what, he comes across as this little angry. There's a there's a bomb under your car, person. <laughs> but he's not. He's he's a he's a lovely lovely bloke. And usually when you ask, and and you have you do have a manner about you where you ask him uh, pretty please and all that, and he'll do anything for you. The yeah. ones who say point fingers at him and say, "Jimmy, I want this." Beep, beep, beep. Sorry. Uh, yeah, they're going to be told where to go. He has been fantastic. His conscientiousness is something that I've got to keep up with this year because he's an actor follower. Honest to God, I know Chris Moore's did five years before Jimmy's five years, and Chris was well. You know Chris well as a very fastidious type, if that's the right word. It is. <laughs> uh, um, he, he, you know, absolutely, everything's got to be perfect, or, or otherwise it's a tragedy. Uh, but Jimmy's Jimmy's been much the same, but in a different, in a slightly different way. But we've had a tremendous amount of laughs during the time I get on with him. I believe I get on with him very, very well. I think he would say the same. Uh, and he is staying on as a consultant to me. Uh, for for the next year anyway, because he's uh, essential for the planning. You need to strategize and plan weeks in advance, uh, if not a season, if not with certain things, season in advance, but weeks in advance, and then and then days in advance, and all that sort of thing. So everything needs to be mapped out and choreographed, if you will, uh, so that you guys have, or certainly the first team have a, a virgin wicket that's spot on. And it's very difficult sometimes when you don't have the weather because that's half of the job. Indeed. And and just carrying on from what you've said there to just take a moment, uh, I, I would echo everything you said about Jimmy. You know, Jimmy does have that reputation as being someone that would cut you up into little pieces and hide you in a wall. Um, and indeed, I would be worried if we ever dug up the uh, the score hut. But, <laughs> but, 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 but all joking aside, he, he is an incredibly passionate man when it comes to the preparation of cricket. Absolutely. And a massive asset to the club he's been and um, yeah, once you get to know him, he's he's an absolute softy. But I would never say that to his face. No. Um, but <laughs> having said that, I, I am I have I have a badge now that says grumpy old man. I've become a grumpy old man. So with that, you're gonna have everybody. It's not, you, even please won't cut it if I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be this is the way it is, and I, I, I was brought up like this. My father was. This is the way it is. If you don't like it tough sling your ook um well you've you've touched on it a little bit there paolo but i thought it might be interesting for some of the listeners that perhaps don't know uh, what goes into the sort of preparation of of a match day wicket or indeed a practice wicket or a junior wicket um and i thought it might be interesting for you to maybe just sort of briefly give us an overview of actually what goes into it and and how much work indeed it does well uh, well, certainly with the senior we'll start with the ones wicket because that's that's your first wicket that you're doing. And you start off three weeks earlier by making sure you've 
it's flat. And then you take the grass off and then you start to dry it. So you would, no, we're very lucky now we've got two sets of covers on the main. So we can use one, uh, one for the up, for the current wicket and one for the up and coming wicket. And we, we, we've got to dry it, flatten it and get and, and, and make it absolutely perfect for the match. Well, the, the difficulty with that is there's one major thing that makes dry wickets and that's sunshine. <laughs> In the last th- three years, the first year was the drought year, which I spent 70% of my time watering. And that was w- covering the wickets during the day watering them in the evenings and then leaving them up at open overnight, which sounds strange, but that was the only way to, to, to protect them. And then last, last, not this last year, but the year before, it was rain, 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 and you just... And I think the record was five times with the covers on and off in one day. Absolute nightmare. Just trying to get sunlight there. Just trying to get... So it needs oxygen, it needs uh, the UV rays. You can't just leave the covers on all the time, so you've got to get that light into them but at the same time, you've got to keep the water off. One of the downsides is it's a positive, but it's a downside. Our cricket club has now got to the size that there are matches on every night of the week, twice on weekends, and it's which is fantastic. I love seeing the ground full, but the trouble is, if it drizzles, if it drizzles a little bit, and you've got to roll a deck, that's going to stay wet and you can't get it dry again. And we've had times this year we've struggled right at the end of the season with the first team wicket not being fit because it's they played last Sunday and it started raining. They didn't put the covers on quick enough. They didn't they play cricket in the rain, which I can understand to a degree, but it doesn't work because there's always a cause and effect to everything. So that's one of the things we've got to put up with, and that's getting matches on and maintaining the quality of, of deck absolutely um and i think as i say hopefully it's been sort of a bit insightful to people to perhaps get a, a flavor of what you do and i'm sure we could sit here and, and talk for uh, <laughs> a long time about all the things that go into it and the intricacies and and all the rest of it but uh principally i think it's fair to say you've got a pretty hard job yeah it's a challenge though isn't it you've got to enjoy challenges mm. i mean it's all about that saturday morning if, if it looks good the umpires go out there and go and, you know, you get that nod of approval. It's all about that. Very much so. And uh, if, have you got any aims for sort of the future of both uh, Victoria Road and indeed Parkside? Well, one of the things, we've got such a, a large, vibrant uh, junior setup now. There's quite a demand on the square. And one, I've been around two other grounds and I met up with the new groundsman at Toft. And they've created, because they've only got one ground, they've created this system where they've got off. Uh, outfield squares for the junior for some junior cricket and they actually treat them like a square they've got them fenced off at the moment i've been past a number of times they've they've put reseeds on them at this moment in time and uh, i'm going to look at that I've, I've spoke to simon about it he's in full he's got full confidence in the idea that we're going to set up three junior squares for the under nines and under 11s we won't be able to cut the grass down as much as a senior cricket because if you cut it down and roll it and then it rains, it matches off straight away. So you've got to have an element, you've got to allow the water to get away, but we will use those wickets purely for those age groups and try and get a little bit more longevity on the main. It means the covers can stay on during games and it means that they've got a better, a better quality of, uh, of, of wicket. 
Thank you for your continued support of the podcast. Since the debut episode back in March, we have amassed over 7,000 unique downloads and been recognised by the ECB with a national award for proactive leadership in the community, as featured recently on Sky Sports. The podcast continues to develop and grow, and I would like to take this opportunity to thank all of you, the listeners, for continuing to support and engage with the podcast. The podcast is self-funded, and we could not continue to create content without the support of our Patreons. Thanks to our most recent Patreons, Tony Moores, Adam Massey, and Rick Nash. Thank you. For anyone interested in supporting the podcast, please visit www.patreon.com forward slash get it whacked, or you can click the link in the description of this podcast. Thank you. Very, very good. Well, thank you very much for that sort of insight into uh, the world of Paolo the Groundsman. Now, uh, moving on to something a little bit different, um, Paolo, as I mentioned in your introduction, you, uh, you have been many things to many people at the club. And um, before I get on to this next topic, shall we say, I just thought I'd set the scene for, for some of our listeners who might not know what our club nights are. So periodically, um, sometimes it's, it's once a month or indeed it's a few times a season, uh, we, we have a club night on a Saturday after the, the, the fixtures. And there generally tends to be a theme. We hand out some awards for a player of the day and these sorts of things. There's uh, occasionally a little, a little bit of uh, alcoholic consumption involved, but it's all good family fun, mostly. With with regards to, to club nights, um, I thought I'd, I'd ask you about some of your club night outfits. And um, yeah, I, I, maybe I'll just leave the question there. You can tell us about some of your club night attires. Well, it's 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 just participation, really. I mean, I know I know where you're getting that. Really, you're getting that. There's been more of a female thing. <laughs> coming out but what are saturday nights far other than wearing high heels well well as i said in your introduction you are you are regarded as somewhat a serial cross-dresser and in well, fact yeah. uh the, the podcast has received an exclusive picture of you dressed as a woman at the age of 24 which will be going yes in whatsapp groups yeah. absolutely well I, i've got to say that between 1990 and 2000 i did have a we're gonna dress if that helps. <laughs> so I thought it'd be that's, interesting. Sorry, that's 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 one for the mayor of Titherington, I think that. Thank you very much, uh, uh, yes, I'm sure he does. Um, <laughs> chortling away in, in probably at this time of year, he'll be having three collars up at the moment, Will Jim Merrows. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I, I thought you could maybe talk us through some of your favourite outfits and, and, and Ooh, right. skip over them. Yeah, well, I think Paris Hilton came, went, went well. Um, it was a sort of little pink number, quite short. Uh, the slippers were only size eight. They were plink pink fluffy slippers but they're only size 8 so I've got size 11 feet I mean you try finding high heels in size 11 I mean thank god for long tall Sally but they don't they're not selling so much stuff at the moment but <laughs> I, I, yeah I wore that then but the trouble was I had to put I had to get some false fingernails I thought I'll get some false fingernails and glue them on oh my god you the women what do they have to put up with I was th- 6 o'clock in the morning I was laid in bed my fingers were throbbing because I put too much glue on and my fingers were all stuck together. And, oh, it was a nightmare. And I was, I'm, I'm going to Liz, what can I do? What can I do? All she could do was laugh and go back to sleep. <laughs> I had to get this blue, what was it called now? Acetate, is it? Yep, acetate. Stick your, stick your fingers in that for 10 minutes. 
So I stuck my fingers in it. It said my fingers blue, but all the nails dropped off. Oh, the pain. <laughs> no wonder they use it as a as a bloody thing in soldiers, you know, pulling fingernails out for, to get them talk, talk about stuff. Bloody hell. Painful. Anyway, one of the other... Uh, oh, we had an Australian evening, didn't we? Uh, we Yvonne did. Goolagong. Yvonne Goolagong. <laughs> I, even, I even used half a tennis ball as a... A chest, uh, what's In answer, that's the word. That's the word. I think the most frightening one was the Peru. It was the um, what was it? The Cowboys and Indians night. Oh, the, po- the Pocahontas. Oh, that oh, was a shocker. No. The, yeah, it, it was horrible, wasn't it? I mean, I've got a picture of me next to Curly, and he's a little Mexican. We all believe we believe that's true, anyway. But he, uh, I went into town as. Pocahontas or whatever it was. Oh my God, there were some looks. I don't think what's going on here. Why are they all looking at me? All strange. Forgot completely that I was at a dress and bloody some sort of animal wrapped around my shins. I don't know what it was. The, it was fur of some sort. The worst bit about that Pocahontas outfit was the fact that your the top you were wearing was so small. It was basically a crop top, and and yeah. therefore you had your you know, not unconsiderable girth on uh, full display to the world. Yeah, yeah. I, I, well, I, we painted it a bit to give it some feature. <laughs> oh, it did. Yeah, it was a bit, a bit shocking. You had to get the, you had to get the camera angle right for that. Otherwise, it looked like it just looked like I had a big belly. What was that all about? I think it's uh, probably appropriate at this juncture to say moving swiftly onwards. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, there are there are many outfits, and uh, for those that are now turning uh, turning their stomachs and thinking about them i apologize yeah. but um but moving swiftly on as i said um i thought it'd be interesting for you to tell us the story of you being referred to uh, as off-season santa yeah well you know what it's difficult well the thing is there's that many bad influences at this cricket club andy bradshaw what a bad influence he is on me andy and kath bradshaw terrible influence they've got they've, uh, ben Wal- ben welsh he can chuck them back as well <laughs> Simon Griffiths has now just started drinking more than half a pint of a day. Vic, Vic, you know what Vic's like. He works all day long on match days, chasing around. But as soon as he starts, he's off. It's like Liz used to call us the last of summer wine before she uh, she took early retirement. I don't know why she did that now. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, uh, I'd had a couple of pints and I couldn't... I should have shut up, really. Anyway, the, one of the comedians decided to call me off season Santa. And it was, will you sh- shut the up off-season Santa, and everybody <laughs> dug me out for that for weeks. <laughs> and it's better than being called Now Then. Now Then? Ten years ago, was it ten years ago, 15 years ago, Porter, Robert Porter, started the Now Then, and everybody did it. Everybody <laughs> did it in the bloody club. All I could hear as soon as I walked on was, Now Then, Now Then, Now Then, Now Then, Now Then. <laughs> Well, as you've you've nicely teed up my next question, Paolo. Um, you you're known around the club as Paolo, um, yeah. but but in fact, your full nickname is, of course, Paolo Funtash. Um, yeah. Could you elaborate on that nickname at all? I've mentioned the two the two little villains that we have in the club, Mitch and Curly Moores. They are uh, what a pair of those two are. I love them to bits. I will actually, you won't know about this, but there was a, uh, we had a tent up, uh, uh, marquee up, didn't we, uh, three years ago for a higher out one Friday and then a club night on the Saturday. But on that Saturday night, the three of us were still there till four o'clock in the morning. But I wish I'd taped it. You've got to get them on club night singing this. It was uh, in the summer 
are frozen. They, were, they did a duet. <laughs> the pair of them. And he calls me Paolo Fontash. Uh, <laughs> and he does a duet from a children's thing. And they did it perfectly. Is that the snowman that melts? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Olaf? Olaf? Yeah, that's it, yeah. It, it was absolutely amazing. It was fantastic. And, and I wish I'd just recorded it because it would have, I would have, oh, I'd have been, I would have, I'd have been named great names then instead of Paolo Fontash. <laughs> and I'm not kidding, I went, so where did I go the other day? Oh, that was it. The rugby club did this German Oktoberfest, didn't they? Of course, I got picked for something. And the guy who was hilarious, the guy who was the leader of the band, and he said, oh, what's your name? And I went, Paolo Fontash. <laughs> and he went, yeah, right. And I turned to Tom Burden, and I went, yeah. And he went, yeah. And the others went, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's not Spanish. <laughs> Very good. Well, look, I've got a few questions from some of our listeners. And, mm -hmm. uh, oh, dear. And actually, uh, the story that you alluded to a minute ago with those villainous uh, Moors brothers is actually a question I've, I've got, um, which is how did you discover your ability to kick a beer barrel in tune? Oh, <laughs> that was the same night as said, as said Frozen. Well, Curly was really good at it because he, he had these little pointed numbers on. And it was, uh, we were, I don't know if we were doing Name That Tune or just... We had music on. We were four o'clock. I was supposed to be staying over. I had a camper van on site to make sure the uh, riotous locals weren't involved. As one of your roles as uh, security advisor. Security advisor previously mentioned. But, uh, oh, those two thought it was brilliant. So we'd, I actually had to, what do you, I think we went through half a bottle of dark rum or something. I had to pay Liz next morning for it. Um, and we had uh, we emptied the keg. We were told to empty that keg anyway because it couldn't be moved, and it was knackered. Oh my goodness me! And we were dancing to all sorts of music, kicking kicking barrels. <laughs> tink, tink. And Curly was fantastic at it. He was better at that than cricket, which isn't <laughs> one of each. I know, you, but... you can't sweep a beer barrel. That's the only. You can't. No, you can't. Well, yeah, you can sweep anything that lad. I'll tell you. <laughs> well, talking of uh, villainous Moors brothers, I did get a question from uh, the other one, Mitch. Which is, uh, could you ask Paolo to discuss his firework disposal technique? Ah, uh, okay. All right. Oh, yes, of course. Well, um, another hat that I wore, I think, for three or four years, I used to uh, <laughs> acquire and set off these fireworks. And because it was November, there's bound to be rain around, and we had to wrap everything with plastic, and if it was raining... And one, uh, once or twice, the other one or two would get wet, or they wouldn't just set off right because they're from China. So this one hadn't set off properly. So it's okay, it'll be fine. I forgot about it. I just thought, it'll be fine. I thought it was wasted. I thought it was done. There was another one that got uh, what they call rockets. Uh, sorry, not rockets, mortars. So we were given a lot of tubes, and they go up the tube, fire into the sky, and then the, every alarm in Macclesfield goes off when they go off. Well, this one didn't do. It went a foot out and exploded sideways. It hit me in the back because I was closest to it. Hit the tins, which are no longer there. I think Crossy got a little slice of it as well. Um, <laughs> anyway, so going back to Mitch's question, uh, the bomb, we used to have a bonfire at that time, which we'd no longer do because of health and safety. And it's got nothing to do with me, this. But we were, <laughs> right, let's, where am I going to put all these waste things? And it was early days of me doing it. I never, I'm a slow learner, what can I say? Let's, let's put all these on the bonfire. Forgetting the one that didn't work very well. And then we'd gone back to the club and we were just stood there and perhaps the, a few beers were going. And then this bloke 
started walking down. You can see the glow him in the glow, walking towards the fire and just warming his hands. And then suddenly <laughs> it was like oh, it was like New Year's Eve. These things started firing off and hitting the tins at the side and into the trees and it was shocking. I mean we all just we were like it was funny. It was Simon, sorry, don't listen to this. It was, it was funny. But not really funny because he could have died. This walk, he was—they were all over the place. It was, it was, very, <laughs> it was very good. But don't tell anybody. Edit that bit. So yeah, I'll, I'll definitely yeah. edit that out. Edit that. Yeah. Well, uh, moving back to uh, one of your other roles, we're going back to to the umpiring cap oh, yeah. on here. Yeah. And uh, Jim Melrose would like you to discuss your decision to give Gary Cash out LBW. Right. Okay. Um, first of all. You cheating is you lot. Sorry, bad word. Yeah, sorry about that. Cricketers, be honest. They all went up. This lad, who was a half decent player, for, but he's apparently he's looked a bit foul mouth. Well, soon found that out. He cut across this ball, which is always a dangerous thing to do, and it smashed into his pants. And it was a windy day. I think it was up at Marple. It was a wind, bit of a windy day anyway. So I've got quite big lug holes, and when the wind blows round, you can hear the wind. And he did, smashed into his pants, right on middle stake. And everybody went up. And I just, I did the ten, one, two, three, four. Yeah, that's how that, off you go. And he stood there going, I bloody hit it. I bloody hit it. Well, I'm sorry, but I didn't hear anything. You're out. And he called me a effing cheat and this and other swinging, you know, and not, didn't stop. He, he walks off like that. And I thought, this is terrible, this. Even if, he hadn't, even if he did it, I had to make a decision. And, and as far as I was concerned, it was 100% out. Anyway, well, I think Craig was playing. Never mind Jim. Craig was, well, Craig said, oh, he absolutely mulled it into his pads. That doesn't help. That doesn't help. Anyway, uh, the guy, um, he didn't stop. He carried on. He smashed into changing rooms. There were words after the game. And I thought, right, this fellow's going to have the wrath of of the the league now, so I wrote I wrote everything down exactly what had happened. Went to the league. I think he must have been on holiday anyway. Well, Marple dropped him off for two weeks, uh, but they, they gave him a two week ban, and not to do it again. Apparently, he does it every other week anyway. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> a simple story. <laughs> and uh, well executed, uh, dangling the carrot by Jim Melrose as ever. Oh, shocking people they are. Shocking people. Oh, now, uh, this, uh, this, this question came from a number of sources. Um, oh, finally, you do have somewhat a reputation for being an avid Twitter user. Any particular oh. reason? Uh, what my fingers do in their own time has got nothing to do with me. Uh, well, I get angry sometimes. It, it goes back to the angry old man thing, can I just say. Uh, apparently, I'm going to say apparently, a certain club, I've had to say things like this. A certain club decided they didn't want to play the second of the T20 games this season. And I was furious because it was a lovely sunny day. And we're here to watch cricket. And if you don't want to play because you you don't want to lose, then mix the teams up. Or just go out and do something. Go out there. You know, we're struggling for money. We want sales. It happens to be the highest sales day, night, day of the, the season as it happened because it was a lovely Sunday day and everybody You guys play over on, on, the, on the threes. Uh, so there was still cricket being played. A few people stay around. The, the, sun was, the sun was out. A few of them ended up by staying and having a few pints. 
but I still couldn't understand it. I was still angry because you're all cricketers and you should play cricket. And anyway, Brandy Bradshaw made me drink a load of beer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> above my normal three and a half. And uh, I, my fingers went all funny on the phone. It's, it shouldn't have fingerprint technology when you've been drinking. It shouldn't, be, it shouldn't let you use it anyway. I said something about him not being very, being, you know, I, don't, I can't say, can I? I'm not no, allowed to say. No, you're absolutely not. <laughs> and, I'm not allowed uh, to say, allegedly. The- for the record, you can't go and look it up on Twitter because it was promptly deleted. <laughs> it, uh, next morning, I, I deleted it next morning because I was told to. I woke up and I had to put my readers on and look at my phone and make the letters bigger. Will you take the two texts off yours, the chairman? <laughs> and I went, oh, what have I done? Liz, what, can you read this? And she said, you better just delete them. Shall I read them out loud first? No, delete them now. <laughs> And I should have done a photo shot because I really didn't know what I'd put, but they were both tweets were of the same ilk. <laughs> and I think that's probably where we should leave it, Paolo. Yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> well, look, just before we wrap up the podcast, Paolo, uh, I thought it'd be interesting just to talk about some aims for next season. I think we've talked about you know, your aims for the grounds, uh, but perhaps for the club in general. Yeah, I think, I think you guys have proved this year with your captain says that you've got your head screwed on the right way. You're bringing youngsters through. We haven't got a great deal of senior pros knocking about. We could do with perhaps a couple more. But you've got everything spot on. You've got so many great youngsters there. Although we know they can break before they get best, you know, before they make, before they mature. But uh, I really do think Cross is heading everything in the right direction. It's very exciting times. I do hope this COVID doesn't affect us again next year like it's done this year. Well, I think one thing that I'd like players to remember is how keen they were to play when they had to miss half a season. And I hope that I hope that they remind themselves of that every year. Not, oh, bloody hell, I've got to play. Oh, do I have to play every week? And all that sort of thing. You had to put up without it for half a season. Let's remember what that was like. It was horrible. And the, certainly the club was very, very vibrant in the weeks that it was open. And, uh, and the rugby club are our brothers, and they came down and supported us. And it was it's a fantastic day on a Saturday. It's a fantastic day when there's people watching, there's cricket on, and, it's, and the sun's out. It's just, it's the best place in the world. Best place in the world. I, I have got to say what other people have said, and I, but your, your award for this podcast is well-deserved. Absolutely spot on. I was so... Pleased that you won it ahead of the other three candidates. Not no disrespect to those candidates, but what I found from it uh, during the lockdown was I just heard some of the voices that I was used to hearing on a, on an April or a May or a June Saturday, and I got to hear those voices, and it's it was fantastic to to hear and to be kept in kept. You felt like you was you weren't missing it as much, if you know what I mean. And that that is been worth a it's been worth a fortune. Honestly, it's been fantastic. It's very, very kind of you to say, mate. And um, as I say, when we set out to to start this podcast, that was really the the, the main aim. It, it was to fill that 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 uh, that leather red shaped void in people's lives, and it's just kind of gone from from there, really. And and mm. you know, picking up the award is is a massive piece of success for everyone involved with the club and the podcast. Well earned. Well earned. Absolutely. Well, look, Paolo, it's been an absolute pleasure. Any closing remarks? No, just uh, good luck to everybody in this ne- until next season. See you back at the Nets, uh, sharpish, in uh, <laughs> at the end of January, and you can get those old bones uninged. Uh, no, it's uh, 
the future looking looking rosy and uh, absolutely looking forward to it. Paolo, thank you so much. We'll see you soon and all the best. Thank you, Miles. Cheers, lad. Ta-da.